Hey everyone, Alexa here with a quick note about the audio in today's episode. My guest Jeffrey had a few audio glitches towards the end of the episode, so sorry, sorry if it gets a little staticky and broken up. It does get better, so just hang in through the glitchy audio and I promise it will be worth it. Thanks so much for listening. Let's get on with the show. Welcome to Notes from Your Acupuncturist, the podcast for anyone who's interested in acupuncture, complementary medicine, holistic health, and self-care. I'm your host, Alexa Bradley-Halsey. If you enjoy this show, you can help other people discover it by leaving a rating or a review, by following or subscribing on your favorite podcast listening app, or simply by telling someone about it. And if you'd like to support this show financially, you can become a paid subscriber on Substack for just a few dollars a month. Just head over to substack.com and search notes from your acupuncturist or click the link in the show notes. And one more thing before we get started, just a disclaimer that this podcast is for educational purposes only and is not a replacement for medical care from a qualified healthcare provider. Okay, on with the show. Hello, and welcome to Notes from Your Acupuncturist. I'm Alexa, and my guest today is licensed acupuncturist and Chinese medicine practitioner, Jeffrey Schifanelli. Jeffrey has been practicing since 2011 and runs a 501c3 nonprofit clinic in Savannah, Georgia. Savannah Community Acupuncture offers low-cost acupuncture and herbal medicine services with the goal of making Chinese medicine more accessible. Love that. Today, Jeffrey and I are going to be talking about holistic disease models, adaptogenic medicine, differential diagnosis, and prevention of disease. These are some of the true strengths of our medicine, and I'm so excited to dive into these topics. Jeffrey, welcome. Thank you for having me, Alexa. Absolutely. So let's start by talking about holistic disease models. You talk about this on your website. So why don't you start by just talking about what that is and why it's so valuable? Sure. Um, in our society, we tend to be reductionistic. So we kind of break things down into like a very minute root cause. But in reality, a lot of things are more systemic. And so something that may be happening with the digestive system may also be affecting the nervous system, could be affecting the endocrine system and so forth. And so a lot of times in Chinese medicine, because of the way that it has been viewed over thousands of years, it hasn't been taken a reductionistic approach, but more of an inclusive approach where every system in the body works together as a whole functioning organism. So when we look at disease in the body, we tend to examine everything that's going on because one aspect of a person's life or condition that they have may aggravate something else. I would say about the closest comparison in Western medicine would be like metabolic disease, where you have this idea of like multiple things happening in a patient that span across many systems, uh, but there's also a metabolic aspect to it, which is driving everything. Yeah, I, I talk with my patients a lot about that, about how everything is connected. Like you say, it is an inclusive medicine. I love that word um, because 
you know, things, things don't occur in a vacuum. Our body is a, is a, a sort of a closed system where everything affects everything else. And I think another, maybe another analogy that we have in allopathic medicine is the endocrine system, because, you know, the endocrine system functions as a feedback loop. And so the hypothalamus does one thing and then it affects the pituitary and then it affects the ovaries and then it goes back to the hypothalamus. And so there is some understanding of that in, in the allopathic medical model, but not to the extent that we view, have this holistic view in Chinese medicine. True. And if I can add another layer to it, uh, the holistic aspect of Chinese medicine deals more than what's just happening in the body internally. It also connects what's going on in what we call the macrocosm. And that's basically time and space and how we travel through it, uh, through the course of the seasons, through the course of a day, through the course of our life. All of this has certain influences on how our body operates, the things that can go wrong, and how it can aggravate certain things and also help other stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that concept of the the macrocosm and the microcosm is really foundational, I think, to our medicine. Yeah, and there's a reason for that because back, so pre-modern Chinese medicine uh, dates back as far as like 1600 BCE. And at that time, and for a long time afterwards, civilization depended upon the ability to observe nature for timekeeping purposes, because obviously no one had an Apple watch then. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and also, uh, you know, because most civilizations were agrarian, they had to observe nature and see like, when was the time to plant? When was the time to harvest? When was the time to just kind of keep what we have and use our storage and not do anything and wait for the coming of spring. All of these were vital to surviving. And what the ancient Chinese realized is that these systems that they were seeing in nature trickled down through every aspect of society from political to social to medical. Yeah, I, I like to talk about how Chinese medicine is really based on observation of what happens in the macrocosm. It's observation of what happens in nature, how water flows. We use meta water metaphors when we're talking about the points and meridians, because that's based on observation of how water behaves, whether it's in a spring or a sea. Um, and so there's, there's so much wisdom in it because this, this medicine is based on what people observed and how how the universe works basically yeah and water is a really good example because uh so the natural cycles that we see on the planet reflect the biological systems inside the body so let's look at the water cycle as an example so to remind everyone in the audience you know what the water cycle is is, is water falls from the sky, it's precipitation. It runs down the mountain, goes into the groundwater, into the aqueducts, into lakes and rivers, and it 
uh, makes the soil fertile, and then it goes into the ocean. And then heat causes the water to vaporize, and it lifts up as if it's on wind. And that vapor then rises up into the sky. And when it rises into the sky, because it's so cold there, it turns into icicles, which form in the clouds. And then it rains again. When the clouds get too much full of moisture, then the rain starts again. And that whole life-giving process to the earth of the water cycle can be mapped to what we call the six confirmations. Mm. So the six confirmations are, uh, for those who may be listening and go to Chinese medicine school or you know have a Chinese medicine background, these are things like what may have been called the six stages in TCM school. And uh, confirmation is like a, it's like an environment that adapts to the world around it. So it conforms, its structure changes based on its internal and external influences. So Taiyang would be the sky and uh, Yang Ming would be the mountain and Taiyin would be the soil. And each of these aspects, because of the way that Taiyan, Yang Ming, Taiyin, affect physiological function, we see them mirrored in something like the water cycle. Mm-hmm. And it helps to inform us as clinicians because a lot of times when we're dealing with complex conditions, once again, getting back to that holistic model, if we try to look at it from a reductionist approach using Chinese medicine, we can get very lost because a patient comes in and they're like, I can't sleep, my digestion's all messed up, I have anxiety, I have you know, uh, hormonal imbalance on top of it. They come in with a wide array of symptoms and to try to fit them into like a specific pattern becomes impossible. And that's where something like using the six confirmations and understanding like how it works in nature, you start to see people as ecological systems and you can see where things are off balance in one place and how that water cycle to use as an example is disrupted. Okay, there's not enough water in the ocean. This is a very common one actually. And it could come out and manifest as night sweats or hot flashes. So the magnetic pull of the ocean is not allowing the water and the yang from the sunlight to be absorbed into the ocean. And as a result, there's, it's, it's just dry. It can't, there's no vapor coming up. And what little there is isn't, the heat isn't trapped in the water because that's what comes up on the other side is water and heat. And when there's not enough water, the heat just is rogue. It runs up with no anchor. And it's so interesting when, when you talk about the macrocosm too, the macrocosm, observation of the macrocosm doesn't just inform how we diagnose a disease. And we'll get to diagnosis in a minute because I really want to talk with you about this too. Um, but the macrocosm also informs how we approach a treatment. And so one example I can think of is you mentioned seasons earlier, and we, we will, we will formulate a different, a, a, a treatment that is based on the season that we are in. So for example, in summertime, acupuncturists, for the most part, at least this is what I do. I tend to needle 
my patients a little more superficially because the chi is more on the surface of the body because that is the nature of summer and the fire phase and excess yang that occurs in the summer. Chi sort of naturally naturally lifts more to the surface of the body. So you don't have to needle a patient as deeply because chi is more superficial. And so we craft a treatment based on not only what we see in front of us in the patient, but what is going on in the world around us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, you kind of touched on a on a point that's brought up in the Neijing. And, and tell how, us, for our, for our listeners who don't know what the Neijing is, tell us what the Neijing is. So the Neijing is one of the oldest Chinese medical texts. It was compiled during the Warring States periods, probably about 300 or 400 BC, around there. But the tales and uh, the discussion of Huangdi, which is the Yellow Emperor, go back further than that. But I think the, the, the first compiled edition of it was somewhere during the Warring States period. So it's, it's, it's like Chinese medicine Bible, that and the Shanghan Lun are probably like two of the most prominent classics in Chinese medicine. And what the Neijing does is, is it lays down foundational precepts of Chinese medicine and also gives some advice on how to engender yang, which was the most important thing. And when we say engender yang, we mean our life force uh, and our ability to survive you know, the harsh realities that especially around that time people were experiencing and how to thrive in situations, whether it's winter or summer, and also prepare for the next coming season, which was important. So getting back to what you were saying about needling patients superficially or the idea of chi expansion during the summer. So at that time in summer, everything is in full bloom. So the chi is expanding. And as a result, you can go to bed later and you can wake up a little earlier um, and you can actually handle it better. And actually, it's a very good time of the year to start to get in the habit of waking up early if your schedule permits and you can do that. Because waking up early is really important in Chinese medicine. It can can have a profound effect on how you feel, um, also your mental and emotional state as well. I haven't really studied the Neijing in a long time, but I think um, I'm coming up on 20 years of practice. And so I think for my 20th year in practice, I'm going to really dive into the Neijing and maybe it'll make more sense to me after practicing for 20 years. Yeah. The Neijing is something that, um, well, uh, I feel more comfortable with the Shanghan Lun than I do the Neijing, but the parts of the Neijing that I've studied, I realized they forced me back into fundamental concepts mm-hmm. that maybe I like learned remotely for, during my first year, like in, in a very uh, kind of out of context kind of way, because mm-hmm. we didn't use the Neijing as our, as right. our foundations book. We should have, but we didn't. <laughs> and and um, so it, when whenever studying the classics in particular, you find yourself going over and over things that you kind of knew beforehand. Yeah. But then you suddenly realize there's another layer that you peel back and it becomes more and more profound. 
-hmm. And so it's like, it's a never ending, Chinese medicine is circular, it's not linear at all. So whether it's disease models, treatment, or, or even like how a patient responds to treatment over time, I try to I try to get patients into thinking outside of the linear model, like, okay, I'm gonna get treated and then I'm gonna be okay and that's it. And it's like, yes, you will get tangible benefits from getting treatment, but it may not play out with like that, mm -hmm. especially when we're dealing with like chronic systemic diseases. There may be a circular pattern of progression where a person sees themselves improving, but they have moments where things go back. But if they were to look at like where they were when they first started and then like six months to eight months later, they can say, oh, there's definitive improvements here. It just wasn't a straight line like I thought it was going to be. Right. Right. Well, let's talk about diagnosis and the concept of differential diagnosis in Chinese medicine, because this is this is one of the true strengths of Chinese medicine and one of the reasons why it is so effective in, in the hands of a practitioner who really um, understands differential diagnosis. Um, something that you say on your website is in Chinese medicine, treatment and the disease are customized for each patient. So talk a little more about that. Sure. And uh, to take from that article a little bit more to elaborate on what you're saying is when a patient walks in, one of the usual questions I get asked first is, do you treat allergies or do you treat insomnia, you know, or, or what do you, what do you got for insomnia? Uh huh. And I'll say, I got nothing for insomnia, but I better have something for your insomnia. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> no and, two and insomnias I, are alike. <laughs> and hopefully I don't off put the patient by saying that <laughs> they don't know me and that I have a sense of humor or try to have a sense of humor. It isn't always I think it's funny. <laughs> <laughs> so, but then I explained to them, it's like, well, how your body is reacting to either internal or external stimuli or both that's manifesting these symptoms is very unique. And going back to the idea of the confirmation, like Tai Yang, Yang Ming, what they are, once again, is they're structures that change based on what's happening internally and externally and their relationship to one another too. It's very complex. Uh, and how someone's Yang Ming, just as an example, responds to their life circumstances versus another person's Yang Ming will be very different. And just to clear up for any Chinese medicine practitioners who might be listening to this, who are still like, who are operating from what they may have learned in TCM school, Yang Ming, Tai Yin, all that stuff, they're not just diseases, they're actual physiological structures in the body. Mm. So to use Tai Yang as an example, so Tai Yang's the sky, it's the sun, right? It's clouds. So Tai Yang, very important for body thermal regulation because from the sky, comes the water, right? Comes the rain. From our skin, that consolidates the surface, right? The exterior, Wei Qi, comes sweat, right? Tai Yang bladder also 
helps with the release of water. So the what's left of the chi transformation plot process of fluids and then what needs to be eliminated. And then of course, Taiyang bladder and Taiyang surface work together to consolidate the surface to protect the body from any type of external invasion. So these conformations are more than just disease processes. They, they actually can inform how the body is supposed to function, which is very helpful when you're trying to do uh, diagnose disease because it's when you know how the body works, when we know how the body works, then when we're presented with disease, we have a blueprint to work towards and we can kind of see like what's not functioning. Mm -hmm. So are you saying that then your treatment, so you, you look at how the body should function if it's, if it's in a state of optimal health and balance, you look at what should be happening and then when that's not happening, you are trying to lead the body back to what that blueprint should be or what that blueprint yeah. shows. Yeah. yeah. So uh, let's use an example with Taiyang. Mm -hmm. So Taiyang, once again, is the bladder. And I had a patient who had this kind of like a frequent urination and this pressure in the lower abdomen, very common pairing of symptoms. And there's usually like a nervous system anxiety induced uh, component to it, right? Or one feeds the other person gets the symptoms and then they get the anxiety or they have the anxiety and they get the symptoms, right? And some of these patients get um, diagnosed with interstitial cystitis. Yes. Okay. And some people it's just, it's undiagnosed, but they have these symptoms and stuff. And it, it's, it's, it's hard because they can't go about their day without having to use the bathroom about eight or 10 times. Right. So what's important with the bladder is the bladder must discharge evenly. And it uh, should know when it's time to go and it should know when it's time to stop. And so when there's a fluid dysregulation problem with Taiyang, this can create sort of a drying effect through the whole water cycle. And because the soft tissue of the bladder is associated with nutritive chi, which is basically blood, right? Mm -hmm. Or beginning part of blood. And blood is very important for the smooth firing of the muscles in both our skeletal muscle and our smooth muscle. So if there's disruption with the water function in Taiyang, that will create a chain effect through the water cycle and all of a sudden, Jue Yin and Xiao Yang get affected too. And Jue Yin and Xiao Yang then act on Taiyang bladder, creating the spasms because Xiao Yang misfires, ministerial fire. And Jue Yin doesn't have enough blood to nourish the, the a smooth muscle of the Taiyang bladder. But it all stemmed because somewhere along Taiyang, there was water dysregulation function. And then that created that whole domino effect. Mm hmm. Yeah. And, and for our listeners out there who are maybe having trouble, you know, making sense of some of the terminology that you're using, Taiyang and Zhui Yin. And um, I think the, the important thing to 
keep in mind is that these these terms describe, as you're saying, structures in the body, sort of blueprints for how the body should function at, at specific uh, levels, and um, and you know Chinese medicine practitioners and acupuncturists study these terms and what they mean in detail for, for the average listener who didn't go to acupuncture school. Uh, I think what you just want to keep in mind is that there's a very uh, sort of elegantly mapped out blueprint in our own body. That is a reflection again of the macrocosm of what's around us in the universe and in the natural world. Yeah. And actually I can put it into more, relatable terms. Let's do it. Okay. So, so I mean, I mean, what you just described is perfect. I'm, not, I'm saying what I was saying, I, I'm going to put into more relatable terms. <laughs> so what I was saying in more relatable terms, because I was thinking as I was speaking, and I speak in six confirmation all day, <laughs> is imagine the sky stops dropping rain. Mm-hmm. And if the sky stops dropping rain, the soil gets dry. When the soil gets dry, the oceans dry up. When the oceans dry up, the vapor that's created in the condensation process, going back to the water cycle, also gets dry. When all that gets dry, things don't function right on the planet. Things dry up, they start to wither. Fire is likely to occur. That's why I was talking about ministerial fire. Mm -hmm. So to use the example of like the overactive bladder, Sometimes that presentation can be because there's no rain coming from the sky and it's drying up the earth and the ocean. And as a result, people are experiencing these symptoms which reflect that dryness, that that spasmodic heat that will sometimes affect the smooth muscle and so forth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great okay, that's that's a great <laughs> metaphor. I can I can visualize that. I I feel like what you're what you're talking about also relates to this concept of adaptogenic medicine. Mm-hmm. Um, and some listeners might be familiar with adaptogenic herbs, and these are herbs that help the body cope with stress. Um, and it sounds like you're saying that as a whole. Not just not just certain herbs, but as a whole, Chinese medicine is an adaptogenic medicine. Yes, I stole the term from Heiner Fruhoff. Okay, that's I fine. Say it and, a, and a light bulb just went off when he said it. <laughs> so uh, basically, what adaptogenic medicine implies or suggests is, is that Chinese medicine... And once again, we're talking more about pre-modern Chinese medicine. The viewpoint was to strengthen the body or to balance what was going on in the body so that the body could heal itself. So I don't like take herbs that are antibacterial or antiviral or anything like that. Even if I'm treating something maybe that like chronic Lyme as an example. I'm not gonna get herbs that I know um, are antibacterial in nature and just use them just because they're antibacterial in nature. 
what I'm going to look for is, is how is the body, what, what natural resources does the body need so that it can expel the chronic infection on its own? So it can create an environment that's inimical to whatever pathogen is um, wreaking havoc on the body. So because Chinese medicine is pre-scientific, and once again, this is Chinese medicine prior to the Cultural Revolution, and the reason I keep making this distinction is um, once the Cultural Revolution hit, Chinese medicine was reformed based on Maoist ideologies, and so materialism and a lot of modern type of thinking uh, concepts were incorporated into Chinese medicine. And also because at that time, Chinese medicine was dealing with a very, I mean, China was dealing with a very um, bad healthcare crisis. So they had to teach people very quickly to go out into the rural areas as barefoot doctors to help because they didn't have enough doctors. Most of them were persecuted. So they had to come up with a very straightforward system in order to um, be able to teach people quickly. So using something as fluid as the six confirmation system or so wasn't going to work because it would have been just too difficult to, to, to explain or teach to many people in a very short amount of time. So once again, going back to um, pre-modern Chinese medicine and what we were just talking about, what were we just talking about? Because I just <laughs> went off into a tangent. <laughs> well, you know, you, I think what you were sort of moving towards is the concept of maybe what we think of as the immune system in allopathic medicine and um, sort of helping the body to uh, function optimally so that it can, say, fight off a pathogen on its own rather than needing antibacterial herbs. Yes, thank you. Thank you for bringing me back. <laughs> Exactly. So my point in that whole, whole that little di divergence there <laughs> was that since it was pre-scientific, how the body was looked at was more empirical based on what we were seeing in nature. And as a result, how I treat it dealt more with how do we shore up the body to be able to handle the stresses of life in and of itself, mm -hmm. as you just said. So you brought up the immune system, which is interesting, because I, I remember it was a question you wrote to me and said, you know, I'm probably going to ask about the immune system and the concept of Zheng Qi. Mm -hmm. Is that something you want to go into right now? Let's get into it. All right. All right. All right. <laughs> so, so, and I thought about that question because I was like, well, so first of all, to explain to um, the audience, uh, if they're unfamiliar with the word Zheng Qi. So Zheng Qi, uh, a rough translation is, is uh, righteous Qi or upright Qi. And in a nutshell, because Chinese medical terms can be very difficult to define because a lot of times they'll be influenced by the context in which you see the word. So um, it can change. Mm -hmm. So but just 
in a nutshell, what Zheng Qi means is, is our once what we were just talking about, the body's ability to adapt to any type of pathogen, internal or external, and to find uh, homeostasis again. So, and in the Neijing, which once again is the Chinese medicine Bible, uh, there's even discussion of our Zheng Qi and in the term of epidemics because uh, the student asks the master, he says, you know, Chibo, uh, uh, how come in epidemics, you know, many people die, but yet there are a few who never get sick? And this is a theme which we're all too familiar with. Mm-hmm. So, and what Chibo um, goes on to explain is, is that the concept of Junqi and how some people, their Junqi is so strong, usually from some type of cultivation and how they live their lives and also what they eat and, you know, that kind of stuff. And their emotions, very important as well. Uh, that their junction is very strong and that the pathogen never had a chance to sort of set up camp. I think, yeah, I think this concept of junction, which is spelled Z-H-E-N-G. Yeah. In pinyin. Um, mm-hmm. So I think a lot of Westerners think of the immune system as something that will fight off a pathogen that's going to invade from the exterior. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got a virus circulating in the community, so you want a strong immune system so that it doesn't penetrate. Well, in Chinese medicine, that's only half of the story. That's yes. what we call the wei qi, which circulates on the surface of the body. Um, that's the yang aspect of the quote-unquote immune system. But then we have the nutritive qi, which is internal. And that is what uh, we cultivate through diet, through, uh, as you said, emotional regulation and healthy practices and things like that. And that's the yin aspect of it. And they both have to be there to really form a complete, uh, strong jung chi or righteous chi. Right. And um, so what you were saying before about immune system and junk chi and are they the same or that question you asked me earlier mm-hmm. and uh, of course i never have a simple answer <laughs> <laughs> that's why you're a good podcast guest <laughs> also hopefully i'm not losing everyone <laughs> but um so you know when you when you asked about that, because I, you know, was thinking about that and also the terms of, in terms of Wei Qi and Ying Qi, you know, the things that you're talking about. And uh, I was like, well, is Zhang Qi really the immune system? And then I thought about it a little bit more and I said, you know what? I'm going to say no. All right. Yeah. And I'm going to explain why. I don't think, in my opinion, that there is a Western analog that explains a lot of Chinese medicine con- te- concepts, Zheng Qi in particular. And what I saw that best describes Zheng Qi was the different ways that the earth heals. So like how 
tectonic plates move to reduce pressure and create new land formations, how erosion causes, uh, you know, seaboards to erodes so that minerals can be taken to other, other areas, the carbon cycle, and like how the plants can, you know, based on the amount of carbon will create more oxygen, will create more plants to offset the carbon and so forth. And it's all these like cyclical self-healing mechanisms in the earth that I, I personally found really explain what Zheng Qi is. Because once again, we look back at the earth as our template for understanding what's happening in the body. So all of these systems in place that repair the body, uh, strengthen other parts that have been, that need to be addressed and so forth, are what composes Zheng Qi. And so that these natural cycles really explain it in depth. Hmm. Yeah, I, uh, I like that theory. The water cycle, of course, mm -hmm. going back to that would, would fall into that category too, because without, and, and when we're looking at, you know, once again, I, although I study these things, you know, I don't have a Harry Potter complex. If something's <laughs> not, you know, if something's not practical to me, I, I just disregard it. I just, I don't have the, you know, I don't have the luxury of being able to, you know, have something just because it's, you know, scholarly interesting, you know, it has to inform, it has to help my patients in the long run. So I want to read a quote from your blog on your website, and you've got some fascinating information on your blog, which we'll link to in the show notes. So something that you say on your website is this, instead of getting rid of disease, Chinese medicine is a reset for the body so that it can overcome a potential war or at least manage it way better than no intervention at all. This is what we mean by our body's capacity to self-heal. So the idea that we examine the battleground, which is our body, and we see where are the weaknesses, where are the things where there's possible um, opportunity for invasion, or how do we make the battlefield work more towards our favor? So if something does invade the outer ranks, um, it finds it pretty inhospitable to stay. So, and I think I use the term omnidirectional field of engagement. Yes, you did. I remember that term. Because it goes right back to what we were talking about, the different cycles that go on on the planet and how we can use them to see how human physiology works. And it's always in a circle. So when you're dealing with the circle, once again, it's not linear, it's not straight. And you can't, nothing is left out of the circle, right? It's inclusive. So when we look at ourselves and like how we can promote good health, just on a day to day, we have to look at not only like what we eat, but also our sleep, our social connections, our mental and emotional well-being. All these are of this omnidirectional field of engagement. One of the things that I love about Chinese medicine is that it it really continuously adapts to meet the needs 
of a world that is constantly changing. And one of those changes that it adapts to is in the area of new and emerging infectious pathogens. And um, so even though a virus may be a novel virus like SARS-CoV-2, the approach of treating infectious diseases and epidemics and pandemics is, is really foundational to our medicine. Um, so let's talk about some of the ways that Chinese medicine is uniquely suited to address a world where emerging and migratory diseases are likely to become more common. What we see with like these emerging conditions is people get some type of active infection and then it goes away, but then like it, there's this like lung quality, it just lingers. Mm-hmm. And uh, to use long COVID as an example. So, and then people can suffer for like months and stuff. And it usually has an effect on more than just one Western medical system in the body. So how Chinese medicine can adapt to that is once again, go back to the individualized approach instead of one thing for many is the idea of like, we can customize a patient's treatment based on the exact presentations that they're getting. And that's what makes it very flexible and how the virus changes and how the patients change either as a result of like, like remember COVID, like COVID changed depending on what the season was, mm-hmm. you know, as far as pattern wise and symptom wise. So it would have been very hard to just like put out one COVID vacation for everyone from Chinese standpoint, because it kept changing because the pathogen kept on evolving. Mm-hmm. Chinese medicine is so nimble in that way. It's so flexible and we, we change our approach from one treatment to the next. And that's all depending on what, what we see in front of us, what's happening in the patient. And then again, as you say, what is happening in the larger macrocosm in the world around us? Well, we are uh, coming up on, uh, on our time here. So before we wrap up, is there, is there anything else you'd like to add or anything we haven't touched on yet? So I I think in our society, you know, just in modern life in general, we can, our technology divorces us from nature because we don't have to rely on nature as much as we did prior to technology, which is, you know, a great thing. I'm not knocking that. But there are important things going on around us cyclically, which can have a great effect on our lives. So sleep knowing like when you can get away with less sleep and when you need more sleep. As the months go on and we go into fall and winter, you may notice you need more sleep. And it's not a bad thing. It's not like there's anything wrong with your body. That's just the way that the world is. It starts to, the yang chi comes into the earth. It starts to hibernate. And we should do the same thing. Obviously, not to the extent of like a bear can do it, but you know, um, we should, we should respect that, you know, or like right now, how we can enjoy a little bit more of the expansion and, you know, have a little more fun and get outside, enjoy the sun. 
you know, but also keep in mind that the harvest is coming too. And with that, we're going to have to prepare by eating well and, you know, being fluid with our emotions and allowing things to, you know, process and being open about our, you know, emotional and mental state of mind, uh, allow things to flow so that we can gather what we've cultivated once the fall comes along as well and start to store for the winter. You know, so these are, are important things and they, on a day-to-day basis, it's like, what are we eating? How much are we sleeping? How are we socially connecting with others, you know, in a meaningful way? Uh, our projects, this is a good time for projects to come into fruition and to, you know, really expand on projects. But then once, you know, fall and winter starts hit, maybe not so much. Maybe you want to back it off a little bit and be more reflective and more yin-like and, you know, allow things to just gestate for a while and for the coming spring. Yeah, that sounds like a a way to live that is in line with the principles of Chinese medicine, which again are based on the macrocosm, based on what's happening on the earth around us and in the sky and and the the larger universe. And it is a holistic way to live. And um and I think there could be a, a wonderful process of discovery in that too. Um, like I've, you know, in summertime, I always wake up earlier in the morning and it's like, oh yeah, well, that's because it's a young time. And so uh, my body's just doing, uh, it's just a reflection of what's happening in nature. And I think that helps us all feel more connected to one another and to the world around us. Yeah, you bring up a good point, you know, about instincts. And that's really important. It's like you instinctually know to wake up earlier in the summer. It's a natural thing. And what I'd say to the general audience is, is don't, deny your instincts, you know, mm-hmm. especially how much COVID really like affected our instincts because COVID and the pulp, which is really important for um, our instinctual, like our response to instincts. Mm-hmm. And the PO is the spirit associated with the lungs. And it's also spirits associated with connecting with the world outside of us. And that has suffered so much with COVID that some people may feel very divorced from like, trusting themselves because they don't trust anyone outside in the world. A lot of institutions have totally betrayed them. And so there's a sense of distrust there. And so they can't find trust within themselves as well, as well as the isolation of COVID. So um, getting back in touch with our instincts and so forth is so important and probably something that really is important now with the things that have happened so that people can see that, oh, you know, hey, maybe I can, I want to eat these foods right now. And that seems natural. And then as the winter goes along, okay, I'm going to eat more warming root vegetables, more seasonal stuff, because my body feels better when I do it. Don't ignore those instincts. So important. Well, you have shared so much, just interesting information and also great advice. So if people are interested in uh, working with you, if people are local to Savannah and want to come see you uh, for acupuncture and Chinese herbs, or if people are just interested in, in learning more from you, where can people find you? 
Um, well, I have my nonprofit clinic, which is Savannah Community Acupuncture. Um, that's probably the mainstay of what I do. So uh, I'd say that anyone who's dealing with any type of like chronic internal medicine condition and is looking for um, complementary ways to treat that, uh, this would be a good source for them because I, I not only believe in the holistic model of Chinese medicine, but I believe it should be accessible to the general public so that they can see, oh, hey, wait a minute, this is, I can use this for more than just back pain. Yes. Amen to that. Yeah. So. There's a whole like, you know, several thousand years of medical literature that support a wide range of different disorders that Chinese medicine really excels at. Yes. Yes. Well, we will put links to uh, to your website and your social media in the show notes so that people can easily find you. Um, and again, that clinic is Savannah Community Acupuncture. Uh, Jeffrey, this has just been a fascinating conversation. I always love talking with you. Thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Notes from Your Acupuncturist. If you liked what you heard, please follow this show, leave a rating or review, or just tell someone about it. And if you want to join the conversation, you can subscribe to Notes from Your Acupuncturist on Substack, where you can comment, ask questions, participate in discussion threads, watch videos, and read more of my reflections on acupuncture and healing. Huge thanks, as always, to our paid subscribers for helping keep this work sustainable. You, too, can become a paid subscriber for just a few dollars a month. Just head over to substack.com and search notes from your acupuncturist or click the link in the show notes. Until next time, this is Alexa Bradley-Hulsey, your acupuncturist, signing off with love and gratitude.